hear these words from the book that we love. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the, uh, my wife and I uh, have, we view uh, birthday letters very differently, like Hallmark card birthday letters very differently. That came out a few weeks ago. My younger son just celebrated his third birthday, and all the letters flooded in from grandparents and their great aunts and uncles, their great grandparents. Everyone wrote, wrote them letters, and um, particularly the letters that were from the more distant extended family to my son. Uh, I left those letters, there were three of them, I left them out on our kitchen counter for three days, three whole days, and, and then, and I made sure that they were read to my three-year-old son and that he got to see them. At the end of the three days, I removed the checks that were in them or the cash that was in them, and I threw them away. Uh, and when I told my wife that I had done this, it was like her jaw fell to the floor. Like, how could you have done this? I didn't do it with the letters from grandparents. Didn't do it like with the letter from us. But like more distant extended family, uh, I threw them away. And uh, now, now the room, I would guess, is divided this morning. Some, there are some people here who are like, yeah, that's what I would do too. And then the other half of you probably think I'm a monster. And my... I'm just really not sentimental very much uh, with these sorts of things. I look at like letters like that. I'm like, what do we expect to happen with these things? Like, are we going to pull out a letter from his great uncle in 10 years? And like, what, where, what is the life of these things? And I received the love in the letter and received love. Thank, thank the, you know, person, thankful, uh, great. And then I throw them away. And particularly the letters that are from, you know, that are, are Hallmark cards that they, someone's paid for someone else to make a card to tell me a message. Um, that's me. Of course, there are some letters uh, that aren't like that. There are some letters that are worth holding on to. I think of uh, a letter that I would never throw away, which was a, a letter from my, my grandmother. She passed away a few years ago. But after my wife and I got married, she wrote us a long letter with just marriage advice because she'd been married to my grandfather for nearly 60 years. Great example of a letter that I would never throw away, right? But one to go back to again and again and again. The letter of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, which we're going to begin studying today and we're going to be in this fall. Philippians is a letter in the history of our church of Liberty River Wards that we've come back to again and again. Uh, one that's, that's like, more like the letter from my grandmother than the way I view the Hallmark card, uh, birthday, get, birthday cards for my, my son. It's, I, I, was, uh, I spent a, a little bit of time yesterday with our former lead pastor, John Alexander, and he asked, what, what, what text are you all gonna study this fall? And I said, well, we're gonna be in Philippians. And John, uh, for those of you who know him, he is something of an, al an almanac brain. And he like right away was like, oh yeah, well, we studied uh, Philippians in 2016 and in 2010. So probably it's time to do it again. Um, it's, and uh, for our founding pastor, 
whose name is Steve Huber, planted our church in 2004. Philippians is, is his favorite book of the Bible. There's something about this book that has just been a treasure for our church uh, that we've come back to again and again. And I'm excited uh, for us to feast on it, feast on this letter this fall. And I want to invite you this fall to feast on Philippians. For those of you who've been around our church, been around Liberty for a long time, for years and years, this is a letter which God has used to craft the identity and the direction of our church. There are riches here. To those of you who are new, and you, I, you, don't, you don't even recognize the names I just said of our former pastors, this is a letter that I hope, that I pray, will, God will use to direct us towards the future that he's calling us to, towards our present and towards a new future as a church. And to those of you who, you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, but you're considering Christianity maybe for the first time, or maybe you've, you were part of it, you got burned from church when you were a kid, and you're, but you're thinking about it again. To those, of you, to those of you, I would say, this letter, it's a great introduction into who Jesus is and what he's done and what it means for you to follow him in his daily life, in your daily life, excuse me. So I'd invite you to, this is, this is going to be a letter to do to just investigate the basics of what it means to be a Christian this fall. And I invite you to do that. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to look at just this, you know, this is the, the header of the letter, the greeting, the, the, if in the, it's almost like the email signature or something that you find in, in this letter. And there's actually a lot of riches here. And I want to introduce the entire letter through, and introduce the background of this letter through these, these, these few verses. So let's look at it very closely. The letter opens, Paul and Timothy. So this is, in an ancient letter, this would be like the from field this in, in the email. Uh, this is the, who the, the email is from. The author, the primary author of this letter is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the characters in the Bible, he's really one of the main characters in the New Testament. He was a man who was, when he was a young man, he was persecuting the church, trying to uh, have killed the, the early Christians in Jerusalem. And on the road to Damascus, he had a dramatic conversion experience where he, the Lord Jesus appeared to him in a vision and said, Saul, he also went by the name Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And his life was dramatically turned around. And he ended up investing his life in planting churches across the eastern Mediterranean one of which is the church in Philippi. That's our author. Uh, he, uh, Paul's friend and disciple Timothy was, was helping him in some way with this letter, was definitely with him at the time when he wrote this letter. Timothy could have been serving as a secretary, could have been helping him craft the letter. Uh, Timothy was near and dear to the Philippian church, as we'll see as we go on. One key thing to keep in mind with this letter is that Paul is writing this letter while he's in prison. And if you read through the, the book of Acts in the New Testament, you can see the full story of how Paul, is, ends up, he's, he's arrested and he slowly makes his way, is taken to Rome. This, this letter is likely written in the early 60s AD in Rome, a few years before Paul is martyred. I mean, we know uh, some hints that we have that it's, it was written in Rome is he references the Praetorian Guard, which is kind of like the emperor's secret service, uh, like the... The, the elite guard that guarded that was around the emperor, 
and Caesar's household is referenced. So that's, again, another reference to the, like the, kind of like the White House, you know. The, the, there, there's clues that this, le- this letter was written in Rome. So that's Paul and Timothy. It continues, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants, and if some of you, if you have like a, some translations of your Bible, if you're looking at this, there may be a, 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 a footnote that says that it doesn't just mean servants. Servants is actually a gentle translation of this word. The, a, probably a truer translation is slaves. They introduce themselves as slaves of Christ Jesus. And this introduction is really significant. It foreshadows a major theme that we'll see in this letter, which is Paul inviting the Philippian church to lay down their self-interest for the sake of others, because that's what Jesus did for us. Let me, I'm going to read to you, this is, this, this, I'm going to read to you the passage that's really like at the beating heart of this letter of Philippians, and you'll see what I mean. Paul writes this in chapter 2. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, slave, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Paul models this this teaching which he's going to get into in more depth later in the letter. He models this going low and trusting that God will bring someone high. He models that in this intro by calling himself a slave in Christ Jesus. He doesn't begin by flexing his apostolic authority. There are other letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote. Go read Galatians. He does do that sometimes. There are times when he needs to do that. But Paul doesn't, in the email signature that we're reading here, he doesn't list out his grad degrees. He doesn't list out his certifications. He doesn't list out all the ways that he's an expert in this, in this field. He says, no, what qualifies Paul to write this letter? It's that he's a slave of Christ Jesus. Um, I, I once had a friend who, um, who, as he read the Bible, he he always initially would read Paul's letters as angry, like in an angry tone. Because Paul, if you read through the New Testament, he's he's a pretty intense guy. He's a guy who people would either kind of love him or hate him. He would always read Paul's letters as angry. But he began to read some, just trying to just think about how he read it in a different tone. He tried to read Paul's letters as loving instead, and he felt like they opened up to him in a new way. This letter really fits that reading. Paul... And he begins in this meek way, this lowering himself way, because he loves the Philippian church so much. And we'll see that in this letter. He tells them things that almost, it almost make you uncomfortable reading. He tells the Philippians, he says, I hold you in my heart. He says that later in chapter one. He says, I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
He says he wants to see them again. He calls them his joy and his crown. This is a, uh, this is a, a letter written to a people whom he loves. Continuing on with the greeting. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So in the email that we're going through, this is the to field. This is who it's addressed to. Uh, So it's to all the the saints who in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Saints, uh, many in some Christian traditions, the saints are, 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 they're held up as, it's a, Certain people who have really lived a life, a holy life like Jesus and are kind of put in this elevated status of like an example for other people who follow Jesus to, to, to be like. And there, there's a lot of value in doing that um, in the, why these traditions do that. In this letter though, saints is just, it's, it's really just a plain meaning. It just means all the folks who have faith in Jesus who are part of the church at Philippi. Uh, this, this is a letter. Who's the two-field here? It's not just the special elite uh, black belt Christians. It's a letter to everyone in this church, along with the leaders who are among them. And this, to the, it's what, is, is it, who's it particularly to? To the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So let's talk about Philippi, the city, for a bit. Uh, it's a city in the ancient region of Macedonia, which is it's north of Greece, near the Aegean Sea, on the way towards towards modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was founded by a Macedonian king uh, named, any guesses? Philip. Uh, Philip. I, someone, I heard someone say it. So it's uh, Philip named, founded the city of Philippi. Philip uh, of Macedon, he was the father of Alexander the Great, uh, really created an empire, um, a, a small empire, which then his son made huge. Uh, it's this, this, I always kind of find, the, find this funny. I was at a um, a gathering of different guy, guys in the church or who are near the church um, on Friday night. And one table of, of uh, there were three guys named Jared at the table. So I just think for whatever reason, our church, we just attract Jared's. It's almost like there would be a Jared, if one of the Jared's founded a town and named it Jared'sville. So Philly, or F- Philippi, is Philip, Philip founds Philippi. Uh, the city's along a major highway called the Via Ignatia uh, that, le- that goes from uh, Greece all the way to modern-day Turkey. Uh, a key event in the history of Philippi, about 100 years before Paul wrote this letter, there was a major battle at Philippi. In the Roman civil wars, they, went, they raged for decades and decades uh, as the, the Roman Republic became a Roman Empire. And uh, there was a major battle there. And uh, the emperor who ended up winning in these civil wars, he later settled his military veterans outside of, or in the town of Philippi, near where this battle had happened. So even though if you were to look at a map, or especially in the ancient world, this, this city is a bit far from Rome, it was a city that had many Roman citizens in it, or who were descended from Roman citizens, Roman veter- like Roman veterans. It was a town with a lot of Roman pride. It's kind of similar almost as if like a, a bunch of one member of a, like a bunch of members of one military branch were, in our time were sent to found a, a, or to be part of a city. It's like, oh yeah, that's a Marines town or that, that's a, uh, an army town or something. There's a pride and a belong. There's like, there's some sense of belonging to it for life, even though you've been discharged as it regards to Rome, that is for, for these people. And Paul will play on this in the letter. We'll see. 
when he tells the Philippians that their primary citizenship is in heaven. So that's Philippi. What about this particular church that's in Philippi? If you want to get the full story on the founding of the Philippian church, go read Acts 16. It's a wild story. It begins by uh, Paul's in modern-day Turkey in Asia Minor, and uh, the Holy Spirit appears to, in, in, appears to him in a vision, and the vision is as a Macedonian man telling him to come. So Paul's like, we got to go, we got to go cross the Aegean, and we got to go to Macedonia to plant churches to preach the gospel there. And the, in Philippi, they're the first converts in what we t- today call Europe. And in Acts, we see that it, it tells us about three people who come to faith at Philippi, the first three Christians in the city. And they're the most different people that you can, that you can possibly imagine. The first is a, a wealthy woman who trades dyes, who had a villa named Lydia. Uh, the second is a demon-possessed slave girl who is being used by her masters to like tell fortunes for people and make money. She's in the, the, the Apostle Paul uh, liberates her. She's the second one. The third person who comes to faith at Philippi is a blue-collar prison guard who is about to, he, he, like the, Paul and his, and his gang of missionaries, they were arre- arrested, they were put in jail. The Lord opens the doors to free them, and the prison guard sees what's going on, and he's about to kill himself because he's, he's relaxed and he's, he hasn't been able to do his duty. And Paul tells him to believe in Jesus, and the man believes, and his whole, ho- whole household believes. Wealthy woman who trades dies, like formerly demon-possessed slave girl, blue-collar prison guard. Those are the three first people we learn about coming to, the, to faith in, in Philippi. Can you imagine what their home meetings would have been like? What the icebreaker, like how spicy the icebreakers would have been in, at, this, at this church? This is a, this is, it's a diverse church, and we can see like in, there's, there's immense strength and power and witness in that. There's also cracking points where there, where there could be, where things, they could be splitting apart. And we'll see this in the, keep us in the background as we're talking about how Paul is urging them to be united. The Philippian church, it has troubles, as we'll see, but it's really a generous, beloved church to Paul. Uh, this letter is, it could be read, it, you could say it's the most famous thank you note ever written, the most famous thank you letter ever written. Uh, the occasion for Paul writing this is that the, the Philippians found out that Paul was in prison, so they sent this man named Epaphroditus with a big monetary gift to help support Paul while he was in prison, because prison in the ancient world, it was BYO everything. You had to be supported by people outside. So Epaphroditus arrives and, and, gives, and gives him this, this generous gift to help support him. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippians as a thank you to them. And when he's writing to them, probably because of the report that he got from Epaphroditus, he also gives them some exhortations and tries to address some of the growing troubles that are going on in the church. Paul also greets, as you note, I note here, he greets the overseers and the deacons along with the whole church. And this shows that this was, this was a church. There were elders in this church who were shepherding and overseeing it. There were deacons who were leading the church in service. And if you'd, look at, if you'd run the, look at the timeline, this church, it actually would have been a comparable age to our own church. It would have been, it, would have, it was first planted about 15 to 20 years ago, around the exact same age as Liberty River Wards. 
verse 2, to wrap up this email signature, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This, is, uh, this, you, this could be read at the most basic level as the opening line of an emails, that emails you may be sending. Like one of mine is like, I hope you're well. That's one thing I, I say. And I do hope you're well. Uh, but it's kind of just something that we say, right? If we look at this line, I would, t- I would suggest to you there's actually more to this greeting than meets the eye. The central work of Paul's life in planting these churches was particularly he was the advocate, the leader in the early church for bringing together both Jews and those who weren't Jews. In our New Testament, they're called Gentiles, just means the nations. These people who were supposed to be separate from each other. Paul's life work was bringing together Jews and non-Jews together through what had been done by Christ to worship God, love one another, and share the gospel. It was the bringing together of these two things. Listen to this. Grace to you, that was the standard greeting, the standard first line in an email in the Roman world, in the non-Jewish world. They would say grace to you to open letters. Peace is the standard greeting in, in the, for the Jewish world, coming from the Hebrew word for shalom, which is a word that some people still use as a greeting. He takes both of them and uses them in his greeting to this church. Even in his greeting, thinking again of how wild of a mix of the, the, peop, the people were in this Philippian church, Paul's modeling for the Philippians how in Jesus, those who were enemies, they're now forgiven and they're made into a new family. He brings them both together. They serve a new king and have a new citizenship. So that's the, that's the greeting. And I hope it foreshadows some of the themes we're gonna see in this letter. I want to, as I, begin, as I, I open, I want to tell you, I want, I want everybody to feast on Philippians this, this fall. Some books of the Bible are, are like a fine steak. You know, I don't know about you, but if I get a, just a steak on my plate in front of me, I'm good. Like it's a one thing on my plate. It's really deep. I'm gonna, it's, there's, I can chew on it. I'm going to love it. I'm not, you know, I'm not a barbarian who wants it well done with ketchup or anything. Like just the steak by itself. Uh, some books of the Bible I, are, are, are like that, where it's just one thing deeply examined. Philippians, to me, feels more like a plate with a rich mix of things. There's, a, there's the meat, there's the vegetables, there's the carbs, and they all fit together. And there are different themes that come out of it. There's themes of, of just like hope and mission and sharing the good news of Jesus with people. There's, there's a, a major theme is joy and suffering. This is, this is a book about joy. Joy comes up in this book, book more than any of Paul's other letters, there's a lot of suffering going on in the backdrop of Philippians. Paul is literally in chains. There are opponents who are trying to afflict Paul. There are people trying to lead the church in Philippi astray. Epaphroditus, the guy who delivered this letter, fell ill and nearly died when he was bringing the gift. There's conflict in the Philippian church. There's suffering going on in the backdrop. This is a book that's honest about pain. But at the same time, It's a letter that's filled, just brimming with joy and hope. Paul has faith that in in life or in death, that God will bring to completion the good work that was began in the Philippian church. He's hopeful, he's filled with joy, and he calls the Philippians, and he calls us to share in that joy. 
the most common command in this letter is to rejoice. Rejoice. And talking about joy, like the command to rejoice, and we'll talk about this more this fall. Some, I, I think of uh, my son, my, 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 three, my three-year-old, when he was two, uh, we would... Sometimes when he would like have a sad face or be crying or, or, or sometimes we would try and get him to flip his mood around by my wife and I, we would pretend to cry, you know, cover our face. <laughs> you know, we'd ask him to give us a hug. He'd say no and we'd pretend to cry. One thing that my son would do when we would do that is he would, he would be like, be happy, be happy. And it's, it's funny because actually it works. When a two-year-old just tells you to be happy, it actually does make you happy. Uh, but sometimes like the, Paul's command to rejoice, it almost feels like Paul's just like looking at you and being like, be happy, be happy. And I hope as we chew on the, the rich feast of this letter, we'll see how much deeper the, the command to rejoice is than that. This isn't, I pray that God would grow us liberty in a true, deep, lasting joy in Christ as we study this book that it wouldn't be smile stapling for us, but that we'd have an overwhelming faith that even in the hardest of circumstances, we can rejoice because to live is Christ and to die is gain. One thing Paul says later in the letter. So I want to invite you, who need, those of you who need joy, you know what our world desperately needs? Joy. Do you know what our family, our extended families desperately need? Joy. Do you know what our workplaces desperately need? joy. And I, and I desperately need joy. I want to invite you to f- those of you who would agree with me and be like, that's something I want more in my life is joy. Feast on this letter this fall. Like study these words like they're really breathed by God to give you hope and joy in the midst of all the real sorrows and fears and suffering going on in your life. Feast on it. What's the main course in this feast? What's the meat on the plate as we look at all of Philippians? It's in the, it's in the greeting. It's in the, this, these couple of verses we just looked at. Who is the main character in the greeting we just read? Whose name is mentioned more than anyone else's? It's Christ Jesus. Not Paul, not Timothy, not even the saints in Philippi. Paul has huge faith in Christ in this letter. And that's the main subject of the, the letter to the Philippians. And, I'm, and I'll, I'll, I'll close by thinking about this way. He ends with, you know, this called the grace and peace, and there's so much in that. We learn about the grace of Christ and the peace of Christ in this letter. Grace, Christ, gr- grace being like God giving a gift to his people. Christ is the gift from God that we do not deserve. And this is in the passage that I already read from Philippians 2. He came to us as a gift. He took on the form of a servant and died, even on the cross, so that we could truly live. He gives us his righteousness, which is given to us through faith. There's, the grace of Christ is, is, is in this letter. But also the peace of Christ, the horizontal, how we live with one another, is in this book. Because of Christ's grace, we're freed to walk humbly, to be united with one another, and to face anything, any circumstance, with peace and joy. 
Because the Father has exalted Christ, the one who went low, and he's lifted him up, we now can lay down our self-interest, the ways we justify ourselves, and even our very lives, and trust that the Father will exalt us too. We can risk humiliation because our Lord himself was humiliated. Christ was humiliated. And that was the path to glory. And I think if we do this, if we live this way, if we lay down our self-interest because of Christ, we will be at peace with one another and we'll rejoice. That's the promise of Philippians. And I think that's the promise for us. And as I'm recounting this, just living this way, laying your life down, being at peace, receiving the grace that we have, the grace, this grace in Christ, is there any part of this that sounds appealing to you? Does it not sound meaningful and beautiful? I'm not saying that living this way and how this, this letter teaches that it would be e- it's going to be easy. Nothing meaningful is easy and nothing beautiful is cheap. But if this draws on you at all, you who are a weary Christian, or those of you who are wondering about having the faith again or having the faith of this faith for the first time, I invite you to know Christ in Philippians this fall. I think there are riches for you in this letter. So I'll conclude with this invitation that's from the letter itself. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.